I do agree with your statement, though, that SaaS has had as big of an impact to IT as virtualization. But you are correct. There are some... Oh, my gosh. Hold on. Wait, wait. Listeners, I want listeners to know this is probably 140-some episodes in. Curtis just said I was correct. (laughs) (laughs) Even a broken clock's right twice a day. I'm just saying. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me a guy that knows way too much about baffles and how they relate to both air filtration and oil filtration. And, Prasanna Maliandi. <laughs> and you know where I learned all this knowledge from, Curtis? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on, the say, you know, on a limb and say YouTube. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Yes, that is correct. Here I am having this yeah, this discussion with you about, about dust separation, dust collection. And when you have a dust collector, the first thing you got to do is put this like separator thing that gets the big stuff out of the way. And they call it a baffle or there's a cyclone thing. And I start talking to you and you're like, oh, that reminds me of this baffle thing in the engine. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? Yeah, because when you run high horsepower cars... And if you don't have a way to vent the crankcase pressure, then it'll cause your head gaskets to I hate it when I don't out. have enough way to vent yeah. my crankcase pressure. Yeah. And so what they do is they basically drill a hole into the valve cover. They attach a hose. And before the hose, there's a bunch of baffles because the last thing you want is engine oil leaving the engine and going yeah, down yeah. this tube. That would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes down the tube into what they call a catch can which basically separates out the liquids fall to the bottom and then the rest of the vapors and everything else is vented out the top. And so that relieves the pressure in the engine. So it's almost the exact same thing as what you have. It is. <laughs> right. So, you need a mechanism to be able yeah. to separate out the particles yeah. from the air. Then this is doing the right. same thing, separating out liquid from the air. And instead of returning the oil to the engine, I'm putting the wood particles down in a trash can. Yes, that is true. There's two things. One is they'll separate out the liquids in the catch can, and then you dump the catch can periodically. Oh, you just dump it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Again, same thing. Yep, exactly. That's the waste that you dump. And the air that they're venting, in in my case, the air is being vented to the actual, the dust collector itself. Yeah. That I've been informed is not a vacuum. It is an impeller, and it, it pushes air. It doesn't pull air. I don't know what the difference is, but, it you know. pushes air. That's what I've been out. told. It's not a vacuum. You put a hose on the front of it, it's going to suck. So <laughs> it's going to really suck. And that's its job. The stuff I'm researching lately due to my little woodworking project. I don't know what to tell you. But we're not here to talk about that. Can we're we just talk, talk about, about that stats. instead? Yeah, we could talk about that. Clearly for a while. Yeah. I have a list, by the way, I've created a list of tasks in my house of stuff I need to go do this evening. Little stuff that I need to do that have nothing to do with that project because I've been so obsessed with that project. One of them is changing the air filter in my heater. Uh, That's important. 
I got to put the the cover back on my barbecue. You can't put the cover on right away because it's hot. And then I forget. I got to do that. I got to change the light bulbs in the bathroom. And I got to replace the batteries in the smoke detector. I'm glad everybody understands. This is what's going on in my life. (laughs) This is what I'm doing as soon as this is done. Is I'm doing those menial tasks. So here's a question for you. Because I tend to know random things about random things. How old are your smoke detectors? They're pretty new. They're like a year. You bought them within a year, but you bought them as battery ones? Because I thought in California, they're not allowed to sell without... It's it's battery backup. Ah, okay. Are you done, Judgy Man? Judgy Man? No. Judgy McJudgy? I I, I just wanted to clarify, because my (laughs) next question would be, if your smoke detector was old enough to only require batteries, then I'd say you should probably replace those. Yeah. I've actually changed the smoke detectors in this house a couple of times. One, when I just felt that they just had way too many false alarms. And especially in a world where now all the smoke detectors are connected. And so when one goes off, they all go off. And then my my poor little granddaughter is very upset. (laughs) She doesn't like it when something screams in her ear at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's no fun. No fun. So speaking of backup. Yeah. What were we going to talk about? Talking, talking about backup, backup batteries, backup stuff. I thought we could talk about this world of SaaS. And I'm just going to, first I'll put out my disclaimer. I work for Druva, which is a SaaS-based backup company, in case you don't know that. And Persona works for Zoom, which is a SaaS. Unified, unified communication, communication. As, as a, a service. service. Right. Yep. Yeah, okay. UCAS. So we're all about, we're, all, we're very sassy over here. But this is not a podcast of either company. The opinions that you hear are ours. And and by the way, if you think I'm full of it, if you after you listen to this this podcast, <laughs> if you think I'm full of it, I really want you to come on and I want you to tell me why I'm full of it. I'm happy to have you on. Unless your name is Stuart. If your name is Stuart, you're not coming on. I'm just saying. <laughs> Stuart, reach out to me. I'll schedule you in. <laughs> Stuart's getting a lot of call-outs lately. I got to finish my disclaimer. Yes. And so the opinions here are ours. Please rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, just scroll down to the bottom. Give us some stars. Make a comment. It will make my day. You put in, you actually put in an actual text review. That will make my day. So cool to hear people actually say nice things about us. And then, like I said, if you think that one of us is, or both of us are full of it when we talk about this, you know, Turn <laughs> yeah, then, then, hey, then come on the show and tell us otherwise. We, we promise not to yell at you much. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all we have. So let's get talking about this. I'm going to say that the world of SaaS has transformed the face of IT as much, if not more than virtualization. What do you think? Um, so two questions. Yeah. Always two. The first is we should define what SaaS is because SaaS can mean okay. different things for different people. Well, SaaS only means one thing, but different people think differently. Yes. So that's a good point. Yeah. The second question is, your statement you made that SaaS had has a bigger impact than virtualization, right? On IT, correct? yes. On IT, yes. I think I might I, have I, said as as big, if not more. As I yeah. think is what I said. But I almost want to say yes, 
but I believe that the cloud has had a bigger impact on IT than either of the pre prior to. So the cloud includes SaaS in my that is correct. view, yep. but SaaS is not necessarily, well, SaaS, if you're SaaS, you're going to be cloud, yep. but. And virtualization, cloud is virtualization. <laughs> virtualization was a step to the cloud, yep. server virtualization. But uh, yeah, yeah, we could have a separate podcast where we just argue yeah. <laughs> on that. But, but but no, I do agree with your statement though that SaaS has had as big of an impact to IT as right. virtualization. But you are correct. There are some. Oh my I gosh! SaaS Hold on, wait, wait, what? listeners. Oh, what? I want listeners to know this is probably a hundred and forty some episodes in. Curtis yeah. just said I was correct. <laughs> Even a broken clock's right twice a day. I'm just saying. So unless you're in Europe, in which case it's 24 o'clock, it's only right once a day, whatever. Anyway. So. To the first point. About so, yeah. So I think that, that is a really good point to make. And because there are, like, I can think of one really big company, hashtag Adobe, who uses the term SaaS very incorrectly. So let me define something else before I define SaaS. I'm going to define subscription-based pricing. Subscription-based pricing is I would like to use this thing, this software product, Adobe Illustrator, some software product like that that you're going to want to you're going to want to run on your laptop or a server or a desktop in your physical environment. You're going to download this piece of software. I want this thing. I don't want to pay $1,000 for it right now, but what I am willing to do is to pay $50 a month forever. And what I will get is I will get the updated versions of that software as they come out with it. So I will, as yes. they come out with Adobe Illustrator you get the latest and greatest. I will get the latest and greatest, but I need to download that software and yep. reinstall it so that I can upgrade my local installation. I'm yep. running this software on my hardware. That is the key. I'm either running it on my hardware or I'm running it on hardware that I'm renting. Yep. So you can download Oracle and put Oracle in a server in AWS or Azure or GCP that, and, and, and you could pay Oracle a thousand dollars a month per server. By the way, I literally have no idea what Oracle costs. I just made up a number. <laughs> it's probably more than that. It's more than that. Yeah. So you pay but them a thousand bucks a month. But you're managing the hardware that you're managing the server, you're managing the operating software. Yep. You're managing the operating system as well. In addition to installing the application. The only thing you're doing is you're paying for it differently. That is different. That is not SaaS. This is one of these Curtis obsesses over the meaning of words. Words. It's important though, because I think a lot of people do get it confused. It is true. A lot of people, including competitors of Druva that refer to their subscription-based pricing as SaaS. They are wrong. That is not SaaS. It sounds like it. It's software as a service. No, it's subscription-based pricing. That's all it is. You're just paying for it differently. That's all it is. Nothing about the software has changed. Okay? That's subscription-based pricing. Mm -hmm. Then there is SaaS. And SaaS is, to me, super easy to define. It's everything we just didn't didn't just (laughs) define. And that is... You do not, it is not running on your hardware. You are not responsible for the application behind the thing you're doing. You are only responsible for telling the application to do what it is supposed to do. And my example would be Microsoft 365. 
if you don't understand the difference between exchange and paying for exchange a thousand dollars a month and by the way in in curtis world everything costs a thousand dollars a month except for a tesla which i recently found out costs mm. more than that but a thousand dollars a month for exchange that's running on your server and microsoft 365 where you're paying five bucks a user times however many users you're using we're using a SaaS app right now to uh, this record this podcast you work for a company that has a SaaS app that allows people to communicate together I work for a company that has a SaaS app that, that allows people to back up data from all over the place. That's a SaaS app where I think the number one thing is that you are not responsible for managing any of the infrastructure. Yep. yep. And you're not right? managing the application either. Like you're not installing updates for the application. So that's why that it's not really just really important. You're not installing updates. Yeah. You just are using it. You always get the latest and greatest. You don't have to worry about anything else. And I would argue that a proper SaaS application that consumes storage, and let's face it, they all consume storage. You also are not worried about that storage. You are not managing volumes. You're not worried about the fact, oh, I created this 10 terabyte file system and I'm getting close to filling it up. I need to go make another one or expand the one I have. Yep. If you're doing anything that seems <laughs> like that's not SaaS. Yep. Capacity management, all that stuff. Now, I know there will be people who say, by the way, even with some of the SaaS companies, I still install a piece of software on my laptop. Doesn't that make it not SaaS? And I argue that is not. Yes, you do install a piece, but depending on how the SaaS application is and other pieces, like the core functionality, you are not managing at all. Right. Well, to go back to your G Suite analogy, G Suite is clearly SaaS, but you can put a G Drive syncing piece on your laptop and synchronize G Drive yep. to your laptop. That doesn't make G Drive not SaaS. <clears throat> the core infrastructure, it's the infrastructure because that's where all the pain is. I would also argue a good SaaS product should help you upgrade that thing that's running on your laptop yep. automatically. Yes. Right. Yep. You should not be having to manage having that. Having to manual. Yep. That seem, I think that seems like a th- good think, definition we, for Seth. Yeah. If you can't see the difference between Exchange on-prem and Microsoft 365, I, they are two very different products. And yep. and clearly some of Druva's competitors don't see it that way. And I, I mentioned Adobe, a CEO of Adobe like a year or so ago. It could have been two years. We're in COVID times. It could have been 17 <laughs> years ago. It all blends it, it together. Seemed, it does. But he said that Adobe was going to be 100% SaaS by, and he gave like 2025 or something. And I'm like, but you're not any SaaS at this point. And that's when I realized what he means is 100% subscription Subscription based. Yep. Because you're not going to do Adobe Premiere Pro in a in the cloud. Browser. Maybe you could. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to rule it out, but it's just that, for example, with Premiere Pro, you've got it's all the it's all that raw video data. Yeah. Right. I don't think you can you, process it fast enough in a web browser to be able to handle the processing that. would happen back there. But you gotta send all the data. You send all yeah. the raw data up to the cloud before you could do anything. And there are some apps I think that do that, but I think what he means is subscription based pricing. Yeah. Which and I think they've transitioned to it for the most part. I don't think he, you could buy perpetual licenses of Adobe at this point. I think everything's all creative suite. Yeah. 
It's all subscription. But I think this is a problem, though, is people have adopted or stolen, (laughs) right, Mm -hmm. the term SaaS to show that they are modern and that's what everyone else wants. And so for a lot of these companies who don't have a SaaS solution or can't get to a SaaS solution because of technology or other issues, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll call it SaaS, but we're really subscription-based pricing, which is just one element typically of SaaS. It's not the only element, but it's one of the important elements of SaaS, I would say. So what was your second question? We already covered it. That was around whether cloud was bigger than SaaS. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So the reason why... (laughs) After that tangent. (laughs) Yeah. But what I want to talk about is that that Drew SaaS-based data protection, we're not the only ones. But I want to talk about this idea of using what I'm going to call a traditional on-prem product. Now, I'm including uh, newer traditional (laughs) on-prem products, right? They they do not consider themselves traditional. I don't consider themselves traditional. But this is an on-prem product that backs up stuff, right? Mm -hmm. What I don't understand is the concept of using an on-prem backup architecture to back up things that are in the cloud. Yeah, Specifically SaaS-based systems (laughs) and native workloads. It does seem a little backwards, but I think here's my take on it. So yes, your application is running in the cloud. Now, you have a couple options, right? You could say, okay, I'm going to dump it to the same cloud. I'm going to put it in some other cloud. Some customers are like, hey, I already have a bunch of infrastructure running on-prem. Let me just dump it to that. So Mm -hmm. it sits locally, right? And so it's in some other place that they can at least control. So they have control of that data versus something being in the cloud, which they may not always have controls over, right? Could be one argument. Another argument and this is the one that I think falls apart, is, okay, I have it locally. In case, say, something happens to the cloud service, say something happens to Microsoft 365 and I can't get access to my mailbox, if I have the local copy on-premises, I can spin it up, I can restore it or create a PST, I can download that PST onto a laptop, I can load it, I can get access to that critical deck that I need to... And I would say that's the argument for a separate backup system. Yeah, but I don't see that as an argument for an on-prem backup system. I agree. I don't see what and, that gives you yeah. versus the other. There are people that, and by that, literally, they want to touchy-feely the backup. They want it in their hot little hands. Yep. They want to... I'm sure you have a tape they, drive they somewhere behind it, you, Curtis. You know? <laughs> the cloud is this... There's a line. I know you've never seen it, but there's a show called Never Have I Ever on Netflix, and it's a teenage girl and the mom there's a line in there where the the teenage girl says you won't pay for the cloud and she's i refuse to pay for something that i can't see (laughs) that's a pretty good line in the show but i i think there are some who they've gone along with the cloud because it's really hard to argue about 365 versus on-prem exchange once you've experienced one it's really hard to experience the other but still they still Which is have weird, this old right? school way thinking. Because 
They've accepted the cloud, but they still want a touchy-feely. They have accepted it in the same way that I have accepted that I am going to die at some point. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know it's going to happen. Death, taxes, and the cloud. That we're adding the cloud <laughs> to the list of things yeah. that are going to happen. They've accepted it. They haven't taken it into their hearts. They just know. They're no longer in denial. No they just know it's going to happen. And that there's just, they're like, fine. But I want a copy of that stuff. Yep. In my hot little hands, uh, th there are some that just think that every time anything goes wrong in the cloud, they're just, I told you so. There's a problem with the cloud. Like, because when everything blows up, you'll come crawling to me and I will be the hero. Yeah, exactly. For that person, there's literally nothing that I can say. They probably hung up 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, he's going to talk sass. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to go. Here's hold on another argument okay. right, that I've heard as well, which is, for compliance or regulatory reasons, we might need to keep a copy on premises or we cannot have the copy leave the cloud, right, and be replicated to another copy in the cloud. I'm going to make a broad sweeping statement, but I'm going to say that I'm sure there's a caveat that I don't know. Yeah. I will say this, in my experience, which is extensive, every time I've heard that there was a regulatory requirement that we have to have this or that stuff like this, where we have to have a copy on tape or we have to have a copy on prem. I've never been able to be pointed at the actual regulation that they're mm. talking about. In other words, I think a lot of them are just made up regulations. Yeah. So I, I know that there are data sovereignty rules. Yes. And, and that's one, right? Yeah. Like yeah, I could, but that's not the same as what we're talking about here. Yeah, but I could imagine a case like a bank in Germany might say, "Look, we can use Microsoft 365 because maybe they have a presence in Germany." But if they needed to replicate the data, maybe Microsoft doesn't have another region or a data center inside of Germany, and therefore we have to manually do something. Now, I don't know if that's a true scenario or not. I don't know where Microsoft has deployed their Microsoft 365 right. regions, but, but I could imagine a scenario like that in some countries where because of the rules and regulations, they yeah. have to do certain things. Data sovereignty would be a valid complaint. Germany is a great example. If you're using 365 and it runs in Germany and you're considering a SaaS-based backup service and it runs in the U.S. and it only runs in the U.S., that would be a dumb idea. Yep. First off, that would just be a dumb <laughs> design. Second, it would not meet your data sovereignty requirements. So you you definitely have to honor the data sovereignty requirements, but that doesn't I mean you have to go on premises. It, it just means don't pick that product that doesn't have what what's the word nexus within the requirements that you need. That's a valid thing, but that's probably like a three percent of the time situation, where ninety seven percent of the time you shouldn't have to worry about things like that. I can remember, for example, I was at a large household name pharmaceutical company. And I remember there was this person who was dictating the design. Like we have to make three tapes every Thursday and they have to put on the left side of the desk. I'm just coming up with something here. And I was like, what, why are you doing that? That's hurting your design. And she's like, because of regulations. It's, it's not my first pharma company. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. And then she goes, help me out, Steve. She said to this other guy, there's a regulation that says we have to do that. Right. And, and he's like, nope. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm just saying, I've seen this where time and time again, people say they're supposed to be doing something because of regulations. And it turns out they weren't actually regulations. But if yep. you do indeed have a regulation that says you have to have something on-prem, first off, that regulation probably needs to be rewritten because that was probably written 30 years ago before the or cloud, needs, right? Or you might have a very different interpretation of what the regulation really means. And you should go talk to your compliance team about that. Yes. We are not giving legal advice. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I want to go. So you're doing a pretty good job of playing devil's advocate. To my I, point. I try. I try. That's why yeah. you keep me around. <laughs> what? <laughs> you are the devil. So. And that is. A beard. I'm Hey, Look at me. What do you think? It's not nearly as long as yours. <laughs> it's you looking think? good. It's starting to fill it's in better. Good? Yeah. It's because Mrs. Preston asked for a beard. She saw this photo of me where I had a beard once and she thought it looked good. And so she told me to grow it out. But but I am under specific instructions to not grow it out like yours. Come on, Curtis. Just do it. Do it. Just wait two years. It'll be fine. There will be no yeard in this house. And there will certainly not be a tweard. How close are you to your tweard? Two years will be in, I think, two weeks. I just can't. We should have a party. I'll bring my shears over. So what what I want to say is... To, to talk about the things you have to do if you're going to use an on-prem system to back up a cloud-based resource. So assuming what it is you want, you have 365, you have Salesforce, you know that you have AWS or Azure or GCP. Um, the first thing you have to do is you have to size that environment. And while that's a perfectly normal thing to do in the data center, it's not a perfectly normal thing to do in the SaaS world. How big is my thing? It's 350 users. Right. How many gigabytes is that? Right? Why do you care? Why do you care? Because I'm about to go design a backup system, and that's the first number that I need. You need that number. You also need the daily change number. You yep. are never going to get that number. <laughs> That is literally not in anybody's database anywhere. The only way you're going to find that number out is to back up the system and then back it up again <laughs> and see what the number is every day, yep. which means that the two numbers that you need to design a decent backup system, you might be able to get one of them. There's no way you're getting the second one. Yep. And so right off, you're handicapped, right? Yep. And then what and are you going to deal with in terms of like the growth, right? Because that's right, another thing you're right. also going to have to plan for your infrastructure because you want to plan a bit ahead. So sure, you exactly. have users and you have the change rate, but what does growth look like? And, and remember, this is the, the same reasons that you went to 365. They apply in your backup system. It's a pain to administer an on-prem <laughs> system. Maybe you're buying a more modern system and it has a scale-out architecture and it's easy to add capacity to it. Have you tried adding That's capacity great. during the pandemic and COVID times, Curtis? <laughs> Just saying? That? Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, setting that aside, adding capacity to your system may be easier than it used to be, but you still, you have to manage that capacity. You have to know what you need, buy it in advance. Again, right now you have to buy away in advance because who knows what sort of trucker situations are going to be going on. We were short on truckers and now they're like striking. So who knows how long it will take you to get what you need. And then the next thing is, so you've designed the system, right? Let's say you designed it, you built it big beefy enough to back all this stuff up. Let's say you're good at that. 
We are living in a new world that is completely foreign to what I remember when I was adminning backup systems. And that is, you really need to secure this system. And I would argue it needs to be more secure than the rest of your data center. Does that seem like a valid statement? Oh, yeah. I agree. Because that contains the keys to the kingdom. And that's your last resort copy. And so you need to make sure nothing can impact that. (laughs) And so you should be looking at uh, backup software products that are... Now, this is assuming you're going to design this on-prem system, right? Yep. So you need a backup software product that does not require root or administrator because you're going to shut down root or administrator. You're going to disable RDP. You're going to disable SSH. And you're like, but that means I would have to go on-prem to manage my <laughs> on-prem backup system. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Yes, that's a pain in the butt, but that's the only way you're going to secure this thing. And it, and if you disagree with me and you're going to allow yeah. root administrator action, then you're going to do MFA. You've got it yeah. MFA on that. You're going to have to do that. We didn't have to do MFA back in the day. This is just for the root or administrator yeah. account that's behind your backup system. I was just um, wondering, though, I know you talked about disabling SSH and all the rest, but yeah. you could also do like console port diags, right? Yes. Like a KVM, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Network-based KVM. KVM. But yeah. then you got to secure the crap out of that thing. Yeah. Yep. That um, is true. So, but yeah, that should be I, part of your, what, the iDRAC system and all the rest to allow remote management. Exactly. Right. And I would still argue that there's a case to be made for not making that a part of the normal world. Because if yep. the normal world gets attacked, it should be separate. And along with that, it, I do not think that your root or administrator stuff should be part of Active Directory. I do not think that the user IDs that are used to log into your backup system, the server, not the router admin, but the backup admin, hopefully that should be a separate account, right? Yep. Yes. I think that should be a separate account from your Active Directory because if Active Directory is compromised, you could then compromise the backup systems. And then there's the whole thing of securing the backup storage itself. You spent quite a lot of time (laughs) at that other company. We used to just NFS mount or SMB mount those to the system, but that is insecure. So there is a multiple protocol ways. There's what they call data domain boost, which allowed protocol access. You would embed a SDK into your backup agent. It would know how to talk over this very specific protocol to securely write to a data domain. And so... It wasn't just widely available over NFS or SMB. And the other mechanism would be also to use fiber channel. So connectivity over fiber channel. So it shows up as a disk, which is also more secure than NFS or SMB. I would argue that still does. It doesn't solve my problem. I don't like that method. I don't want it to appear as a file on the file system on the server at all. Yes, that wouldn't solve that problem. And then the third method is a virtual tape library or VTL which you could then access. That makes it a little bit harder to attack. It doesn't make it, all you need is just some specialized software to blow away all those tapes. Yep. But I would argue that the only secure way to do it is boost or something like boost. Yep. Where it doesn't show up as anything accessible in the operating system, which means that if the backup server is hacked, then it can't access the backups, right? Now I will say, that in order to make it convenient for people, Data Domain did release what they call Boost File System, which Uh allows a 
basically allows the boost protocol to be used, but enables a NFS mount point on your local device. <laughs> okay. And that would then fail your criteria, right? Where it's yeah. not secure because it's always available. It's sitting there. Anyone can access it. Yeah. So all you need to do is figure out which one of these seven different ways to connect your backup <laughs> storage is the appropriate one and pick the most, I think you should pick the most secure one, but it's probably also the most complicated one. And I guess the point I'm making here is why would you do that? If you didn't have to do that, why would you do that? If you use a true SaaS product, you should not have to worry about Capacity management. You don't have to yep. worry about any of that. You don't have to size the back end. You do, but only from a licensing perspective. Yeah. Right. Because you need to still care about your costs, but. You still have to pay for it and you yep. could you could get it wrong. And that just means you need to pay a little bit more. You don't have to go redesign your storage system. Yep. You don't have to worry about the bandwidth to back it up. You don't have to worry about that whole thing of not knowing how big an incremental backup is. Yep. It doesn't matter. It's you don't not care. your problem. Yep. Yeah. I would argue, though, that sure. you may need to care just to make sure you're able to meet your backup windows and your RPOs. I think recovery testing from SaaS to SaaS is just as important as recovery testing yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. So I would agree. And But I, I guess what you're saying is you, you can't just ignore how big your system is. And I think that's true either side. But I'm just saying from a capacity management perspective, you don't have to worry about that. You just have to pay for however many users your system you're has. Done. Yep. And it's and what's great done. is it matches the exact same way that you're actually licensing the production application itself, like Microsoft 365. Otherwise, right. it's so hard to like be like, hey, how much front end storage is for 500 users? And you're guesstimating and being like, I think it's 10 gigabytes a user. And I hope I'm right, because otherwise I'm going to need to buy extra capacity or I yeah. bought too much and spent too much money. Which is probably what you will do. You probably will overestimate. That's what we always did with backup systems. You always overestimated and you typically buy way more than you need. Yep. And, but again, with the SaaS world, with a true SaaS product, you buy and pay for only what you need and use. Yep. To me, it just makes sense to back up SaaS to SaaS. Like you bought off on the, the value of SaaS for say 365. Why would you want to go backwards in time? Yep. You're in the 21st century with your mail app. Why would you <laughs> want to be in the 20th century with your backup app? I just don't. 100% don't agree, Curtis. It. Yeah. So anyway, I knew you'd, I knew you'd be a good devil's advocate for me though. I, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have you here. Give me this, give me the SAS and to advise me on dust collection design. Anytime, Curtis, I'm always here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and I, we're, we're not going anywhere. Literally we just <laughs> sit here. The only question is we're on our computer all the time. It's just, are we talking to you? Are we talking to work? Are we watching YouTube? <laughs> Yeah. YouTube. Right. I'm um, watching YouTube even right now. <laughs> <laughs> you probably are. All right. Well, thanks to our listeners. We love you. Got a, got a shout out to you. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all.